We all live by a narrative we have written, a story that we have created about the way things ought to be, about the way the world is, about the way other people are, but especially about ourselves. And every person you meet, every experience you have, every conversation you have, including the words I'm sharing with you right now, pass through that story and are not unaffected. And here's the problem. That narrative is largely false. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation where it's going pretty well, and then all of a sudden something triggers, and you or the other person begins uncontrollably crying, or someone has a sudden outburst of anger and gets short or snappy or sarcastic, or maybe you get defensive, maybe you start interrupting instead of listening. Have you ever done that? Filling the conversation up with your own words so that your point wins and other people don't have a chance, overwhelming force of words. Or maybe you just bail and give the silent treatment. Ever been there? And then afterwards, if you're a a Christian, because you don't let the sun go down on your wrath, you come up to that person and you say, I'm sorry, I I just wasn't myself today. (laughs) That's not the real me. Yeah, it is. It's not the story you tell yourself about yourself but it's the real you. Because the real you is not just the person you like to think you are. (laughs) The real you is the you that everybody else experiences. Every reaction you make comes out of who you are. Jesus put it this way, a person's words will always express what has been treasured in their heart. Or in the Old Testament, as a man thinketh, So he is. So the reality is we are far more than what we like to think we are, and we are also far less. Now, God has called us to a life of deep and profound transformation, and many of us want that change. And very often, we think that if I just change my context, if I change my circumstances, then I'll be a better person. If I change my job, if I change my church, if I change my spouse, or just get free from my spouse, if I change location, if I win the lottery, (laughs) if my life changes and the pressure gets off, then I'll be a much better person. Did you ever hear that expression, wherever you go, there you are? You see, What God wants to do is change us from a completely different level. And unfortunately, we tend to go about seeking change in three primary ways. First would fall under the phrase, fake it till you make it. That's changing by way of declaration. Now, there is power in making declarations, but they don't become true just because we keep insisting on them. Declarations themselves are merely outflows of our narrative, of our story. 
I may say I am an incredibly caring and supportive husband, and I'm declaring that, but if my wife experiences something else than that support, if she experiences hurt from me, which of those is true about me? See, faking it till you make it produces really good fakers. The second way that a lot of people change is by trying to change their ways. I'm changing my ways. I'm working on specific responses and actions. Often we come to passages like the fruit of the Spirit. It's in Galatians. Let's say it together. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Even pastors have often taught these and say, these are your target points. These are your markers. Work on it as though there are things I can accomplish. But the important interpretive key to this verse is what word? Fruit. Fruit. I thought about bringing a bunch of apples and at this point in the sermon, hanging them on myself. So just picture that. (laughs) How do I look? Does that make me an apple tree? No, it doesn't. These are not spiritual merit badges. You don't achieve them by putting the hours in. The change that God wants to do in your heart is what yields the fruit. A third way we try to change is the hyper-spiritual view that says, I'm going to let go and let God. This way of thinking says, I am completely incapable of change, and the real key is to stop trying to just surrender completely to God, and God will do the changing. And this is actually a very common thing that is taught in churches, has been for about two centuries since what's known as the Keswick Movement in England. I'm going to let go and let God. Now, there are merits to all of these approaches. The third in particular, that's a very important principle for change, but something is left out that is really important in Scripture if we're to experience the kind of transformation that God really wants to make in us. And that's what this series is about, getting to those areas of transformation that you don't even know that you don't know that you need in your life. How do we get there, and what role are we supposed to play in it? How do we go about having true, deep, personal change. And today we're going to set our sights by going to a familiar passage of Scripture for journey people, and that's Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to encourage you to grab a Bible from the pew rack or the one you brought with you and turn so that you can follow along with us. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and for now I'm going to go just to verse 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, this passage is a goldmine in terms of understanding the work of transformation, the movement to maturity that God intends to accomplish, not only in you as an individual, but in the church. And so we're going to look at it through that lens. And the the first thing we're going to ask is, why should I change? Why should I change? Uh, Some of you may be thinking, you know, I'm pretty happy with who I am. Thank you very much. (laughs) And a lot of us are old enough now that we just say, well, this is just the way I am. People either like it or they don't, and I'll hang out with those who like it. Thank you very much. Why do I need to change? Well, the motivation for us is the primary theme of this chapter, and that is the first verse where Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We are all meant to live a life worthy of the calling that we have in Christ. And I want to tell you, none of us are there yet. You may be farther along than others, but there isn't a single person in this room, including the oldest here, who has fully arrived. There's things God still wants to do in your life. And let me tell you something else. A lot of it you don't see. Or you're ignoring. God wants you to live a life that is worthy of Him. That's our motivation. Why do I change? Then then we look at what change would look like if it occurred. And that's found in, in verse 13 and forward. The first thing that we see is this description of mature people. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The second thing is a mature church. Verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect Again, very strong words, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Notice how complete Paul pictures the transformation that is supposed to take place in us. Grace is the environment that we live in, but grace does not give us permission just to stay where we are. It's not enough just to say, well, we're a bunch of broken people who all live in grace. It's not enough. Paul says, it is for freedom that you have been set free. When I came to Jesus Christ, I was saved from the penalty of sin, 
in order that now, because of God's grace and the presence of God in my life, I can grow and be redeemed from the power of sin in my life. And it's this end that that journey is targeting, that you will reflect in every way from the inside out the full measure of Christ. What's the process? That's the next question we want to ask. We know why we're supposed to change and what that change looks like, but what are the ingredients for change that Paul lays out that result in this? There are four things that we see quickly in this passage. The first is profound unity, both relational and religious. Be completely humble, gentle, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity. That's relational unity. Then there's religious unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father who is over all and in all. So the unity of the body, not just around what we believe, which is critical, but also in terms of how we engage with each other is an important ingredient for real transformation to take place. If you have ever been in a spiritual community where you felt like you had to be on guard and fake it, that is not where you're going to experience full transformation. The second thing we see is the empowering presence of God. God who is over all and through all and in all. There is no real transformation unless God is invited to permeate every aspect of our lives. It's like, it's like the psalmist when he wrote, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there's any evil ways in me. Now, do you think the psalmist actually thought that God didn't know his heart? Of course God knew his heart. It's really a question where he's saying, search me, Lord, know my heart, reveal to me, reveal to me those hidden things. Only God can do that, only the Holy Spirit can convict us of sin, as Jesus said he would, and so the presence and work of God. The third thing we see is spiritually gifted ministry. That God who is present and empowering our life equips each of us to play a role in the transformation that is to take place. And then the fourth thing is radical authenticity. That's wrapped up in this phrase, but speaking the truth in love. We're talking about authenticity within this spiritually gifted community whereby we help each other discover what is real and what is true about our hearts and about who God can be. Paul doesn't fudge here. He says if those things are present, we will no longer be children tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming of men, but by speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. Let's set the same standard for ourselves that God is setting for us. Let's not turn grace into a license to stay the way we are. Because by God's grace, you can become who Christ is. Now, how do we get there? Because the reality is, 
Most churches don't fit this description. Would you agree with me? How many of you have uh, been in a previous church before coming to the journey? Just put your hand up. Look around. Keep your hands up. I only want you to put your hand down now if you did not experience in a previous church serious conflict. Look around. So here's my point. Conflict is the norm in the American church today. We don't live a life worthy of the calling we've received as the Christian community in America, let alone as individuals. I would go as far as to say my neighbors are more authentic than most Christians I know. My neighbors have no standard to espouse to. They are who they are. The problem with Christians is that we have told each other who we should be. And so at some point in our lives, we start pretending to be that rather than being honest about what God still needs to do in our life. So actually, in my opinion, American Christians have a harder time being authentic than non-Christians. What do you think of that? Now, you can disagree with me, but think about it. Better yet, prove me wrong. I didn't mean to just point at, point at you. But, uh, that, I wasn't doing that. What is missing that we need to bring into this process of transformation? What is blocking us from it? That's where the rest of this chapter comes in. We're going to pick up at verse 17, and we're going to talk about the barrier to real change. So I tell you this. Let's just stop there. This is a transition phrase, right? So I tell you this. Paul has just painted this incredible picture, this transformational, gospel-focused, spiritually gifted and empowered, authentic community, and then he's saying, so, in other words, in pursuit of this, going on, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. That's pretty strong. Paul's not saying, here's something to try. This might help you. He's saying, as an apostle, this is something we must give our attention to. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles, which means the non-believing world, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new, key statement right here, and to be made new, if you're reading, say it with me, in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down 
while you are angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, next week, we're going to really exegete this passage and talk about the barrier I'm about to introduce to you through this in more detail. But the barrier to change is found in this verse. You must no longer live as the people of the world do in the futility of their thinking. Here is what I want to say to you. Just like as a church, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, yet we are still living in the kingdom of this world. And we are working to bring about change in the kingdom of this world. The same is true of your heart and your soul. In one sense, you have become a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. You are in your own new age under the blessed reign of Christ, but yet you are also still, as Paul says, corruptible. Your nature is not fully transformed. You bring more than your sin and your ignorance into your faith. You bring patterns of thought. There are ways that your mind works that have been influenced by a whole lifetime of experience, good or bad, everything you've learned, every person you've known, all of that has programmed a way of responding in your heart that happens before you even consciously begin to respond to something. And that becomes the greatest block to transformation. And Paul says this to a group of Christians that are among his most successful missionary work, the church in Ephesus you are still, many of you, thinking in a way that the world thinks. And it's deceptive. How does he say it? I tell you and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. Next week, we're going to look at what this broken way of thinking is that still affects and invades all of our lives that Paul says you have to break yourself free from. The solution for change is found in verse 23. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, the word be made new is in the middle voice. In English, we're used to two primary voices, active and passive. In an active voice, I do the action, the direct object receives my action. In the passive voice, I receive the action. But the Greek has the middle voice, and the middle voice is somewhere in between. The middle voice says, I am participating. And so what Paul is saying is, we are to participate with God in the work of transforming the way we think in our core. Because that's where we're stuck. 
we have ways of thinking that we don't even know affect how we respond to people. There are lies that we believe about ourselves, about the world around us. There are things in our past that come to play in interpreting every new experience, every person you meet that is getting you stuck towards the ultimate transformation. So what God needs to do is to transform our minds, our hearts. Not just the part we know, but the part we don't control that controls us. Look at another verse in Romans chapter 12, and let's say this together. Do not live by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, it took me a long time in my own spiritual journey to recognize the faulty assumption that I had been making. I saw this verse about God changing what I think and believe. I saw spiritual transformation as two-dimensional. God rooting out the sin in my life, that long process of God exposing areas in my life that he needs to transform, rooting out the sin in my life, and then second, filling my mind with godly truth, godly doctrine, godly understanding. The more I understand the word of God, that's gonna trickle down into change in my life. Now, both those things are really, really important for transformation. But if you really understand the word transform here, and the idea of the pattern of this world, you'd understand that here, as in Ephesians 4, Paul isn't just saying, as Christians, we need to change what we think. He's saying, you need to change how you think. Many churches, maybe the American church in general, has failed to include that in our understanding of spiritual formation. So there are people that have been in churches for years. They've led, they've been on the board, they've been pastors. And then something comes up and good people find themselves on opposite sides doing damage to each other and to the cause of Christ. Why is that? Because they're enslaved to thinking the way the world thinks and don't even know it. What I'm saying to you is that there's a third component to spiritual maturity that Scripture actually talks about if we're willing to look at it. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above anything else. Listen to that. Let me say it again. The heart is deceitful above everything else. Who is Jeremiah saying our heart fools when it says the heart is deceitful? Us. So how do we get to the point where we can speak truth to ourselves, let alone truth to one another, so that we can be formed in every way into Christ? It's that level of change that we are going to pursue together. And so I want to close by giving you three big points that set our sights. The first is to live a whole new way of life. Scripture clearly teaches, even though we haven't paid much attention to it, we need a whole new way of thinking. Second, we need to change not just what we think, we need to change how we think. And then third, true change requires our effort and cooperation with God. 
let me just show you how prevalent that concept is in this passage. You might want this week in your devotions to go through Ephesians 4 and circle all of these words. Make every effort. Each part does its work. Put off the old self. Be made new. Put on the new self. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil. Do not let an unwholesome talk. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness. Be kind. Are you following it? What's missing for most of us in transformation is our willingness to cooperate with God and actually do the work. The reason why we resist it is because we all know there's stuff down there that we don't want to look at, that we don't want to be reminded of, but that's exactly where God wants to take you. And here's the thing. All the stuff about your heart that you're afraid that other people are going to find out, you know what? Most of what you think is hidden. It's not. It's only hidden to you. And secondly, most of what you feel most shamed to have God address, he already died for it. And he's already there in your life waiting. I will never forget, and I'll tell you more about the journey I've gone through the last 18 years learning about this, but I'll never forget when God began to open my heart to this idea. My inner person got fearful and got protective. Just the thought of being discovered, I had never been truly authentic to anyone about my deepest struggles and fears. And God put key people in my life where I was able to learn to be authentic with them, and then that allowed me to uh, be in settings with a broader group of people where, you know, I could own up. And I remember, it was interesting, the fear vanished. Being real actually allowed for more grace to abound and provided freedom to find healing. And the other thing I found was that when I finally opened up myself to those areas, guess who was there already? My loving Father. Right there waiting in those places I didn't want to touch. I met him when I entered there, and that's what I'm inviting you to do. And I know that for some of you, you know there's things that God wants to change. You can touch them. But I'm going to say for all of you, saint, sage, and sinner in this room, there is more that God wants to do than you know. And I'm inviting you to go there with me. Let's look at that verse one more time. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. Let's commit to figuring out what that's all about. Amen? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing of the cross and the grace that is ours in Christ. Thank you that you saved us, not so that we might make a mockery of the cross by continuing in our brokenness, but you saved us so that we could grow and be formed and be truly those who reflect Christ in his fullness and bear much fruit for his glory. Father, that's who we want to be. We want to be that as people. We want to be that as a church. We want the world to see us and the journey and say, if that's what God's like, 
I want that. Amen.